Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. I'm Randy, and today I've got Rasa Shanks. Now, Rasa is the CMO of Dow Jones. Dow Jones, that's a brand that we talk about almost on a daily basis in one way or another. We turn to it for insight to understand how the markets around us are performing and how we can take advantage. Now, that's a big opportunity for someone to be CMO as, and if you look at Ross's path, you may say, how did he get this opportunity? I mean, it's not to say his path isn't impressive, really great brand agencies, as well as starting a company himself. But a lot of that he attributes to impressing the right people along the way, as he terms it followership versus leadership. And what he did was really impress one individual who continued to believe in him at every stage of his career. And it gave him those opportunities. And I think that's something that we can learn a lot from is the importance to impress everyone on a daily basis. That impression you make defines your resume, defines the people that want to work with you again, again in your career. Now, Ross and I go beyond just his career and we break down how he thinks about the buyer journey and coming from the agency side and having to learn the idea of the importance of being a partner to sales and a partner to revenue and the business operations. You'd never know that that wasn't part of his DNA in the early years because he talks about it like a pro and prioritizes things like personalization. So without further ado, here we go, my chat with Rasa Shanks. Hey, Rasa, thanks so much for stopping by, talking to us about the way you see the journey. We'll start with your career and how you ended up as the CMO at Dow Jones. And I feel like a lot of this comes down to who you know over your career. Yeah, I think that's right. Well, firstly, thanks for having me, Randy. Um, this is a treat. I've kind of had a maybe unusual path, but I think the connection to where we I got to at Dow Jones is all through following one inspirational leader. Uh, really. So I started my career in advertising, a couple of different agencies. And then at the, the last agency I was at, we pitched for um, News UK, which is ultimately owned by News Corp. And the CMO there uh, and I really hit it off. And after a few months of me leading the account on the agency side, she asked me whether I'd consider coming in-house. Uh, and I did that and I, and I made the jump. Ultimately, that was because I wanted to stretch myself. You know, advertising is a very small slice of the the marketing pie, and I really wanted to expand my horizons. Uh, and she felt like an amazing leader to, to follow. And then I, I did a, a stint at, at my own startup called Great Little Place, which is about finding the quirkiest, greatest little places to go, be that an amazing bar or romantic restaurant. And then I, I went for coffee with the same um, lady. Her name's Katie Bannock-Smith. And she basically had moved on to be president of Dow Jones. And she you know, essentially just said, hey, do you fancy a new adventure? Uh, do you want to come to New York uh, and be CMO there? So I couldn't resist and uh, took took her up on the offer. That's that's a great story. And, you know, if someone were to look at your resume, if you will, and look at your LinkedIn profile, as I did before we chatted, 
you know, I, I kind of couldn't understand that jump, right? It's, it's a big jump moving from the agency world, you know, to a startup to the CMO level at a company like Dow Jones, uh, with, which is such an amazing brand of, of such large scale. But I guess it's all about creating confidence. And, and I'm wondering, you know, maybe you can look back on your career and, you know, your time at, at Gray London, where you were pitching to, I think you said her name's Katie. What do you think it was that helped you win her over? I think it's because I just tried to go above and beyond and every single thing that I was given, right? Little or small. And I think we often hear about or read about or learn about leadership in business. And I actually don't think there's enough written about followership and what great followership looks like. And, you know, everyone ultimately has a boss. And I think for her, I just went over and above. And I'll give you an example. This is so minor and it's going to sound a little bit um, ridiculous, but I'm going to tell you a story anyway, because it reminds me a little bit of the, of the scene from uh, Devil Wears Prada. We were in a room and we were discussing, you know, something to do with marketing. And she just talked about something personal and she was like, oh, you know, I just spent the weekend at Solo House and, um, you know, I'm doing up my new house and I, I just love the carpet there. And it was just a throwaway comment. Just, you know, a nothingness. And then we went back to what we were doing. I went away. I found the two possible designers, the interior designers that could have been responsible for that carpet. And I found them. And I found the person that uh, had put in the carpet, sent them some flowers and said, hey, would love if you could uh, send me samples and let me know where you got the carpet from. And then uh, got that done and sent it to her. And she was just blown away. And I know that sounds weird because it's non-business related, but that just gives you an example of me going above and beyond on anything that I was given. And I think in business, you never know when, you know, a connection is going to matter. And so I think the lesson there is always try and impress everyone that you work with, whether that's a peer, whether that's someone who reports to you, or whether that's someone you report to, because, you know, the world is small. And it's not about, I think, you know, you hear a lot about, you know, it's who you know. Reality is it's who you know and who cares about you. And you have to make people care. Uh, and that means doing a great job, big or small run. I love that. Uh, it's a great story. And, and I want to come back to what it now means, you know, as, as this woman continued her career, her journey now, you know, outside of a CMO role, because I believe you said she was CMO when she brought you in to run part of marketing. What does that look like in terms of how that dynamic has evolved between the two of you in terms of, as you put it, followership, but I'm sure you're now at a point where you're learning from each other. Yeah. So um, she actually moved on eventually. So she's now started her own company uh, back in the UK. But for the period that we worked together, you know, I think what I enjoyed, and as you say, you have to step up to the plate eventually, right? You have to be a leader yourself. Um, You can't always be a follower. But I always believe that, you know, your job is to make your boss look good, right? I like and that. So the dynamic change where, you know, she couldn't focus so much on marketing because she was overseeing a much, you know, bigger organization and, and really became a business leader. But the dynamic just becomes, you know, you manage upwards effectively and you try and impress and, and uh, you know, spread your own wings and come proactively to someone as opposed to reactive, you know, to anything that they were they're requesting, right? So it's about having your own vision ultimately 
but also enjoying still being challenged, right, by someone who knows the craft. Absolutely. So I want to I want to both take a step back and also think about today at the same time with my next question here, which is, you know, you've you alluded to starting a company yourself, great little place, which is a great little idea that it, that is so cute in itself. And I, I wish I still had that app to turn to sometimes. But maybe you can help me understand what type of people do you look for now as the leader? You know, which ones are are the people that you gravitate to bring on to your team? to form that same type of culture? Yeah, so I think there's um, two kind of criteria I look at. One is about attitude and personality, right? And so I have a phrase, which isn't my own phrase, but I categorize people into two categories, right? They're either a radiator or they're a drain. And I only want radiators on my team because when the going gets tough, you need people who uh, are going to be positive, uh, don't get bogged down in the negative uh, and, and raise you up ultimately. So I look for radiators, not drains. And then I look for curiosity, you know, because I kind of feel like curiosity and energy beat talent um, most of the time. Now, it's great if you are super talented, but equally, I don't need every single person to be an absolute uh, rocket scientist. I need people to be positive, to be learners, to be grafters and and ultimately you know my job is really to nurture the team and make myself redundant i guess is the job in a way i love that in in terms of finding someone who you want to mentor or who who you're going to look for as a mentor how do you suggest people go about doing that what is the best key from everything that you've learned so far well, I think the first thing is to be bold, ask. People, I think, respond really well to being asked uh, is the first thing to say, I think. I think you need two types of mentors, potentially. I think you need a mentor that's in your uh, field, ultimately, that's a few steps away from you. Uh, I, don't, I don't think someone that close in sort of seniority is that effective. I think you need to look at you know, be sort of ambitious as to who you go after. And then I think it's useful to have someone who's not in your field, to have someone who's a completely different area, because I think um, I like to always get macro perspectives and outsider perspective on things. And I think sometimes we navel gaze a little bit too much in marketing. So I think it's always useful to have um, voices from different areas, ultimately. I think that's great guidance. All right, Ross. So we are deep into understanding your career. We're going to take a quick pause here on the marketer's journey. We'll be back and we'll dig into how you see the buyer journey side of the equation right after this short break. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. So Rasa talks about this idea of really impressing the person who is 
up in front of you, that boss, that peer, whoever that may be. And it, it took me back to the early points in my career. You know, being an entrepreneur today, sometimes, you know, you may think, well, who am I trying to impress? You're still trying to impress your team today. But at some point in your career, you've got to make that breakout moment. And I remember my first time was my first job. I was working for a big company called New Rubbermaid. I was working in store level, going Walmart to Walmart, trying to get better shelf space for our products. And I recall everyone had the kind of standard things that we could do to try and make sure we checked the box. But it was finding those breakout ideas. For me, it was actually building these massive displays out of wood and paint in the middle of Walmart stores. It was completely outside the rules, but I got it to fly long enough that it caught the attention of my boss. And that ultimately, in my opinion, got me that next opportunity. So the question is, when you're given these opportunities in your company, what are you going to do to take that leap, to get that opportunity so that like Ross says, someone's going to call you years later and say, I want you to be my CMO. I don't care what you've done to date. I know you're that type of person who's going to go above and beyond. All right, Rasa, so I want to kind of pick up on where your career has taken many different twists and apply that to what it means to now be the CMO of a brand like Dow Jones. And your background, I would associate on paper, is very creative driven. Creativity obviously goes a long way as a CMO, but a lot of the time it's also about the numbers. How do you balance those two responsibilities yourself and where's your lean? Yeah, so um, you're 100% right. Um, my kind of journey has originated in in kind of creative land as it were i think the first thing i'll say or the first thing you know did i think as cmo at dow jones was actually uh, go the opposite way in 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 the sense that i wanted to establish marketing as a real business partner and to be commercially responsible and to really deliver an impact for the business right so the first thing I did was do away with any kind of vanity metrics, you know, reported back to the business, because I believe that everyone would look at them cynically, quite frankly. So to start with, we got rid of everything apart from marketing originated pipeline revenue and marketing originated closed revenue. They were the two metrics that I just talked about all day long, right? Because... Can you give me an example of a vanity metric that you slash? I mean, I'll, I'll give you one, right? Which you know, I think is is ultimately subjective. Is the issue with it uh, not objective? And that's marketing influence revenue, right? Because how do you define influence on an account by account deal basis? Um, I just don't know how you do that. Um, now, do I believe in my heart that marketing obviously plays a role? or can play a role in any deal, whether sales has sourced it or we've sourced it. Of course I do. But I think I wanted that believability factor. And I knew that if I was talking about that metric, which was the metric that was used before, I wouldn't be able to convince everyone uh, in quite so forceful a fashion, right? So that's the first thing, right? So I established us as a commercial partner. I do believe, however, that creativity has a much bigger role to play in B2B than we've perhaps been led to believe up till now, right? Because I do believe that emotion plays a huge role in decision-making. We're not all completely rational. 
And I think you can really stand out in B2B if you layer in a, a good bit of magic, creative magic on top of your campaigns instead of doing something dry and dull. Uh, that's, that's a core belief of mine. And I'm really enjoying marrying the different schools of thought, right? I'm actually very, like, in some ways, very technical as well, because, you know, when I was doing startup marketing, um, there was a lot of technical marketing that I got my hands involved with. You know, I learned SQL, for example, so I could query our database and look for interesting segments and um, learn about viral loops and all sorts. So I'm really enjoying the playfulness of being able to bring these different worlds together because there's a lot of overlap. And there's a lot to to bring to bear there. I'm I want to dig into your talk about the uh, the idea of kind of that magical experience that you can bring in, and you know I we've been fortunate to start to work with your team at Dow Jones over at Uberflip, and and I know a big part that that's part of that magic for you is the element of personalization. So how do you think about the idea of personalization at scale, uh, balanced with still creating this magical? brand experience? Yeah, I mean, I think um, we're living in a really interesting time because technology is allowing us to do stuff at scale that was impossible before, I think is the first thing to say. Personalization for me is about adding value, right? Um, You know, we've moved way beyond the sort of cynical um, replace first name, last name, company name, all that sort of stuff. Um, To do personalization properly, you have to add value, you have to add relevance. Um, and, and I think the beauty of where we are now with B2B marketing is that you can really create personalized experiences everywhere. Uberflip obviously uh, enables us to create those, you know, personalized content experiences, um, that I think is going to become increasingly important. Um, plus we're able to apply personalization to almost everything that we do now, right? Whether it's email or, 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 or any of our ad creative or anything like that. So, and then through, you know, to obviously personalization then plays a role across sales and also products as well. So I think the more we can join the dots there, the better. I, I'm thinking back to our conversation earlier where you did, you talked about finding the interior designer who knew the, the right design that did Katie's rug that she loved. And to me, that's that was you selling her on yourself through showing that you understood what mattered to her. Uh, right, it was relationship building in a in a very marketing like way. I'm wondering how you teeter that line when it comes to marketing at Dow Jones in terms of getting personal, but also finding figuring out where where you get personal with the audience around personalization versus where you just show that you understand their business needs. Yeah, I mean, I think for me personalization obviously you can do literally go down the personal route as it were and i think that that you know more and more you know probably the best sales people do that they really get under the skin of of their prospects but equally i kind of feel like you know actually just helping someone be better at their job and and understanding their professional needs is much more powerful right and and if you can just position yourself as a brand as a true partner and not just sort of spin out all the same, you know, messages, value props and content, really understand where they're at, particularly obviously during that, you know, the the bit of the, you know, journey where you're trying to go from 
opt to close revenue, if you can circulate those insights more broadly and activate on them in a meaningful way, uh, that's powerful. And it, it could be actually something completely irrelevant. It could be, you know, um, offering someone a connection um, that you think is going to be valuable to them. So at, at Dow Jones, again, it's a brand that so many of us associate with in, in various different ways. Without getting into the weeds, maybe you can give us an idea of how many different personas or how many different levels of personalization you're trying to tackle as a team and how you're prioritizing the ones that that get you know, a high level of personalization versus perhaps, you know, more base personalization. Yeah. So this is the trick. We, we are a, um, a company that provides professional information to uh, the business world. And that means that we have, you know, multiple uh, personas and business functions that we sell into. The core offering is around, you know, news, content, insights, uh, and tools to derive uh, further insights from that content. And so that could be anything from helping a company mitigate risk in the kind of compliance space through to helping a strategy department figure out, you know, how to enter a new market or, or something along those lines. So I, I think broadly speaking, we look at about 15 different kind of personas and business functions. So it makes it very hard because ultimately, if you think about content and um, news and data, it can be used for so many different purposes. And that's really the, the, the problem we wrestle with is that we're kind of solutions in search of problems is the way I sort of say it. And now look, we just have areas of the business that are growing faster than others. And we lean into that, you know, and, and we, we work as business partners to the business team, understanding where they think the growth opportunities are. And we just prioritize the personas therein. And then, you know, depending on obviously, you know, the size of the potential opportunity will dial up or dial down how much personalization uh, we layer into that. Gotcha. Really fascinating. And I'm, I'm curious, just so people understand the scale at, your, at which you're operating, how large is the marketing team? And within that, how, how many groups are there tackling these 15 or so different segments that you have? So we are... We're a core team of 20, but we've got various different functions that are shared services that support us, right? Um, we have a separate marketing ops team, for example, that we use, um, and we work with a comms team. So there's various other departments that we work closely with to get the work done. But I quite like the, the size of the team because it allows us to be still nimble. And that's one thing that I've really brought with me from startup days is that you know speed is everything. You don't want to wait till something's perfect. You need to ship. You need to get stuff done. Uh, and that's why I try and in most instances to take myself out of the um, decision making process because I really want to empower the team to move quickly. Only if it's really, really critical should I be involved um, unless they want my guidance on something. So, so yeah, I think um, it's kind of the perfect size for what we need to do. And we, we actually punch well above our weight, I think. Love that. I uh, love the nimble man mindset. And, and uh, I definitely felt that when I got to talk to your team a, a few weeks back. So kudos on on the way you've built that culture. And, and it shows that you've got some startup roots. Ross, so we're going to keep you around after a short little break here. We'll do one last little bit of discovery with you to understand how you find, perhaps you know better than anyone, the places to go to because of the app you started, but how you 
escape for a little downtime as a busy C-level marketer right here on The Marketer's Journey. I love that Ross has got to focus on speed. That is the startup mentality. And bringing that into a company the size of Dow Jones and the way things may or may not run there really can change the dynamic. Now, this is something I've been trying to rally my own marketing team at Uberflip as of late. And one of the keys that I told them that I see too often is we try and focus on speed, but the other thing we need, or perhaps the biggest challenge to speed, is scope. What we need to make sure we do as marketers is not scope projects to be too big. How many times have you put together a campaign where you needed 12 videos for them? What if you could have done that with eight videos? Would the outcome be dramatically different? What does your audience expect from you at the end of the day? Now, we all want to do the best project possible. Ross has spoke about that as well. We want to impress people no matter what, but at what risk do we put the entire project deliverable and the speed to market when we don't focus on the scope you know these ideas come from books like the lean startup eric reeves who talks all the time about getting out that mvp getting out that minimum viable product and that mindset is something that we need to bring into our marketing on a more regular basis Hey, Rasa, we've unpacked your career, the buyer journey that you're building over at Dow Jones. Now, how about escaping for a little time for yourself? How do you make that possible as a busy C-level marketer? So I think it's really important um, to create space for yourself. But I think what I'm, what I feel particularly lucky, I guess, because I do love what I do. Um, I think the field of marketing is fascinating. I think there's always something good to learn. But what I've always found is, Whenever I take a break, whenever I go on vacation or holiday, I come back a better marketer because it gives me that space from stepping away of being in the weeds in the day to day. And I'll always have great ideas, whether it's you know lying by the pool or or whatever, going on a hike. Having that mental space is super important, and that's why I really encourage my team to to take breaks, to go on holiday as much as possible, because or on vacation rather because I know that they're going to be better for it. Um, you come back refreshed, energized. You always take the business forward, I think. So I think personally for me, um, I try and do things like not have my phone as my alarm clock next to my bed. I try and um, charge it in a different room downstairs um, because I think it's a dangerous thing if it's always there. Um, Absolutely. And I read a lot. And, and And also, weirdly, I do read a lot of business books. So even though... I'm not necessarily working in a way it's kind of still working because I'm still learning. Uh, I'm, I'm a big believer in learning. I find it relaxing, to be honest. Uh, but then, you know, the normal stuff, socializing, spending time with friends and uh, trying not to think about work in a direct way. Um, yeah, the, those are the things I do. Nothing revolutionary. but um, So I got one last question for you. Given, given your founding of Great Little Place, share with us one Great Little Place that, that people should escape to should they be able to to find the time it's at some point and suppose covid wasn't holding us all in our our homes or towns um sure well it, there's a there's two places actually um well there's one uh, it's one's a, a restaurant in london called maggie jones it's just incredibly quaint uh, beautiful candle lit um it's like being in a barn 
uh, weirdly, like a French barn in wow. London. That's really, if you're going on a date, that's a place to go. And then I went on a, a road trip around California and there's a place called um, Sierra Mar, which is literally, it's near the Big Sur, I think. And it's, it, it's, um, it's amazing because you're just on a cliff face basically across the ocean. So uh, that's pretty special too. Amazing. Uh, you're making me want to make sure that COVID ends sooner than later so we can all get on the road and, and find some of these places. Rasa, this has been a great journey with you today, learning about your career, learning the way you run your team at Dow Jones. And I thank you. If, if people tuning in, if this is the first time you've stumbled upon our podcast, take a look at some of the other episodes on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your, your podcasts. Listen to some of the great marketers who've gone to this point in their career through really taking chances and, you know, as Ross has said today, working hard to impress someone. Until next time, thanks so much for tuning in. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts.